Well, that prayer night is a, a very special evening. It's where we pray uh, and seek God and also hear from God. Just to say as well that um, next week we're actually starting a new theme in our, in our sermons, our preaching series, and uh, we're really looking forward to this. It's really focusing on really what it means to follow Christ. So it's very much focusing on Him over the weeks and even the months ahead, and I'm really excited about that. And to kind of really introduce us into that, I'm going to just um, uh, ask our speaker up in a moment, and uh, as, she, as she comes up, she's never done it before, so I'm going to ask you to put your hands together and really give her a good old cheer. Uh, you know her very well, she's a dear <laughs> friend of ours, uh, we've known her over many years and know that she is someone who has walked with God, learned heaps from God, and I believe has a real heart and ability to communicate it with others. So I'm going to just ask Mandy, come forward, let's welcome her, shall we? She opens... The Word of God to us. Come on, Mandy. Is that working? Yes. <sighs> right. Keep following Jesus is the title of this talk. Life is hard. Life has struggles. Life is short. Oh, this is going to be a really <laughs> nice talk, isn't it? <laughs> no, but don't worry, there is hope because <laughs> there is good news and there is Jesus. I'll just pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you will help me communicate what you want me to say today. Help me to be clear, and I pray that your Holy Spirit will touch people's hearts and minds. I pray that we'll be renewed and refreshed in our love for you and want to follow you more closely. I pray we will come out with a sense of hope, purpose, vision, and peace. Amen. Okay, if you thought you were not long for this life, what would you say to your loved ones? Well, back in 2007, I went into hospital for surgery and something went wrong and I began to feel my mortality. So I wrote letters to each of my three boys who were 14, 12 and 8. And I sent Dave home with the letters. And in the letters, I told them how much I loved them. But the main message to them was, all through your life, keep following Jesus, no matter what happens. That was the most important message that I wanted to tell each son. And it's an important piece of advice. We can't take it for granted that we'll stay on the straight and narrow. Because just recently, I don't know if you heard, but in the news there were two high, in the Christian news, there were two high-profile Christians who've fallen away and renounced their faith. This is slightly low. Oh, <laughs> oh that's better. <coughs> Yeah, they renounced their faith. Where was I? Well, life throws things at you all the time. And, now you, and how you respond to those things, good and bad, is, is so important. By the way, all through this talk, I'm talking to myself as well, okay? Um, I was reading Kings and Chronicles recently in the Bible, and it occurred to me again that just because you start well and even continue well, you cannot take it for granted. You'll finish your life well, still closely following Jesus. 
And I think the subject's really close to God's heart because he mentions whether people finished their life well or not over and over again in those two books of the Bible. Um, Kings and Chronicles record how the kings started and then as importantly, if not more importantly, how they ended their life. Solomon started well. He was counted by God as having made a good choice when he opted not for wealth or fame, but for wisdom. He made such a good start. That good choice, a choice for wisdom, brought him wealth and fame throughout the world and down the ages. And yet, he didn't finish well. It says in 1 Kings 11, As Solomon grew old, his many wives and concubines turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. So this wonderful king, who started out so well, ended with his heart having turned away from the Lord. Isaiah was only 16 when he became king, and he started out well, and he had the Lord's favour and success as long as he sought the Lord. And it sounded that he was quite a good king, he was well organised, but when he became powerful and successful, he became full of pride and acted like he knew better than the priests. And he went into the temple and he tried to burn incense to God, but that was the job for the priests to do. And they asked him to stop, but he raged at them. There and then, leprosy broke out on his face and he had the leprosy and had to live in a separate house until the day he died. Jotham, oh, by the way, I am not going to go through all the kings, <laughs> just in case you were worried, but I'm just picking out a few to make my point. Jotham did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. Ahaz did bad stuff in the eyes of the Lord. He stole things from the temple and presented them to the king of Assyria. And this didn't help him, but it brought him even more trouble. And in the trouble, he didn't turn to God. He was even more unfaithful to God, and he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus. That was his downfall and the downfall of Israel. And one more. My little, my favourite, little Josiah, who became king when he was eight years old. And he started worshipping God early in his reign. And later on, the high priest found the neglected book of the law all dusty and it hadn't been looked at or followed by the kings for years and years. And Josiah took this seriously and he tore his robes and he renewed the covenant with God to follow the Lord and all the commands and decrees in the book of the law with all his heart. And it says of Josiah... Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength. And my question is, why aren't there more babies called Josiah in Christian circles? Because he's an amazing king and it also, the actual word Josiah means God or Jehovah healed. So that's brilliant too. Anyway, that's not a hint or anything to anybody. <laughs> Back to the kings, okay? They lived in the time before Jesus. 
We're in such a privileged position yeah. in history because we see Jesus, we have his example, the example of what a great human being can be. And we have the Holy Spirit with us yeah. every day to guide us and tell us what to do. Yeah. And we have the New Testament. Pete suggested I mention a few times in my life where Jesus had been there with me and had graciously been looking after me. So, here we go. <laughs> when I became a Christian just after my 13th birthday, I truly fell in love with Jesus and I knew he'd saved me and I felt devoted to him. I was overwhelmed with his love and what he'd done for me. And Jesus and the cross at last made sense. When I received the Holy Spirit a little later, I had this, this joy and this peace that passed understanding. And I say it passed understanding because, well, just before I say this, I just want to say I love my mum very much. I loved my mum. But um, I lived in a very unhappy home where voices were raised a lot. I'm afraid that was a bit of a euphemism, voices were raised a lot, because actually you never knew when an eruption would take place. And um, I was often in a place of feeling adrenaline and fear and bewilderment and anxiety. But now, I just when I've become a Christian, got the Holy Spirit, he gave me peace. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. But then life hits, and through my teens, I did make some bad choices. But God doesn't let you go. I was on a train from London back to university in Norwich and a young woman next to me was crocheting. Now I could knit, but I couldn't crochet and I'd always wanted to learn. So she, there and then, I asked her about it and she taught me um, the basics of crochet. And um, she was one of these people that naturally share their faith. And she began to ask me about myself and God came up in conversation. And I said, I was a Christian. And she said, yes, but are you really a Christian? Can people see it in your life? Has it changed you? Well, I thought it was a bit cheeky, really, because <laughs> she was really pressing the issue with me. And I said, yes, I am a Christian. It's like, back off. But <laughs> she was naturally being herself and close to God and just respond responded to his promptings maybe and it did bring me back to God it really challenged me so after that train trip I started searching out um, searching God and I went to the Christian Union once <laughs> and another Christian on my course saw me there that time and she suggested I come to her church she told me it was two hours long. <laughs> but she said it was full of the Holy Spirit. And going to this church in Norwich was wonderful at last. I'd found what felt like home. I'd reconnected with the Holy Spirit. Nat said something like that last week. And I'd already written this then. <laughs> it occurred to me that the girl on the train and the Christian on my course, they could easily not have bothered to say anything to me. But actually they responded to the promptings. Or maybe they were on the front foot or looking out for people, you know, being ready to go across the room like that book we heard about once. 
Um, they were on the front foot to say things for the Lord, and it made a world of difference in my life and got me back on track. So can I ask you to bear that in mind next time you think, well, I could say something to that person, or shall I not? Or surely they won't want to hear from me. And anyway, I'm too scared. Please say it. Follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. It could turn their life around. Jesus got me through a broken heart. They say time heals, don't they? Well, it didn't with me. After a whole year, I was still in what was like a physical pain in my heart. And I was so sad all the time. But then I went to see John and Christine Buckerfield, who used to be in our old church in East Grinstead as well as when they were here. Um, And with one prayer, God supernaturally healed my heart in an instant. It was so amazing. One minute I was Miss Misery. I shouldn't really joke about it, because as I say, it was very painful. And I'd been like that for a year. And then as John prayed and broke off the old relationships hold in the name of Jesus... I was healed like that. And it actually felt like a physical... It's amazing. And the heaviness just went. And my friend noticed, she hadn't seen me for a while, but she'd seen me through the year and seen me. My friend noticed, as soon as she saw me, she said, what's happened to you? You're like Mandy again. I thought... Okay, my third pregnancy was difficult. And then I had a really difficult birth. The midwives told me that when a baby presents in that way, you automatically have to have a caesarean. But we didn't know he was going to, bless him, Hudson, (laughs) we didn't know he was going to present like that. And I was in what we call in England a cottage hospital back in the day, which had no doctors, let alone an operating theatre. I knew it was serious because the midwives did look visibly shaken. And then... They lent me, for some reason, they lent me their midwifery tome after I'd given birth. I think I'd probably asked for it, knowing me. So they gave me a bit of light reading after my birth. And um, in this midwifery manual, it said some scary things like one in 600 births happen like that and other stuff about what could have happened to the baby. But by a miracle... God got us through the whole thing with both of us totally unscathed. Jesus has also got me through moving country to a country I've never been to before, 12,000 miles away. That's here. (laughs) And and all that that involves, leaving my beautiful family, friends and soulmates. And when I got here, it was a real shock. As I say, I'd never been here before and I was rather traumatised by it. Some of you might remember. <laughs> remember. Anyway, um, I remember describing it. I'm not really melodramatic, but I remember this is what it felt like to me, okay? Don't judge. I remember describing it as feeling like I was in a raging cold ocean in a storm and I wasn't in the life raft My fingertips were barely holding on to the string that goes round the life life boy thing. It felt almost like I'd lost who I was, my identity. No one knew me. 
if I did meet anyone new, because we were here to evangelise, if I did meet anyone new, what they were likely to see was a red-eyed mess with a soggy tissue, yearning for England, whinging pom, when I really had come with high ideals of coming to New Zealand and helping plant this church and reach the lost for the Lord. I came through all this, thanks to lovely friends in this church, and God, obviously, that's why I'm talking about it. I came through this awful homesickness and settled after a while. Thanks to, yeah, thanks to you, Lord. I faced big things here, like when my beautiful daughter-in-law and beautiful son went, what they went through with Taya. That was a big wobble for me. And I'm about to face another big thing. Hold it together. An operation in hospital. This operation's been hanging over me for a year. And the Goliath of it hasn't shrunk. You know it's big when the surgeons are saying, it's big. <laughs> but I know my Lord is David's Lord, the King of all kings, the ultimate Lord. And I keep singing to, to the Lord and to myself, I trust, I trust, I trust you, Lord. I trust you know it all for me. Just the other day, the hospital rang up and they said, we're going to give you to another DHB and another surgeon can perform the operation. I'd only just got my head around it during the last year that I was going to have this operation at all and I assumed it was going to be in Wellington. And I assumed it was going to be this guy that I'd met, this wonderful top surgeon. And I'd just got my head around it. And now they were saying I might end up in Auckland or Christchurch, and obviously that would be mean being away from my family and the church friends and other friends. And I was feeling anxious about this news. But I felt God say, even in the midst of feeling, oh, no, this is the reality, I'm going somewhere else. I felt God say, and it was as if he was putting his arms around my shoulders, and he was saying, hey, 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 it's all going to be all right. Honestly, it really felt like that. And then eight days later, I had to hang on to that word, eight days later they rang up and they said, we will keep you in Wellington after all, and you will have the surgeon that you thought you were going to have. I never imagined that I'd be thrilled to be having that news. <laughs> but anyway, I was. As I wrote this, I felt um, God impress again on me to look up at him and not down at the problem. He's got me through all this for a purpose. He's saved us, each one of us, for a purpose. Yeah. He has a plan for your life. Isn't it amazing? Some, someone said, Lawrence, I think, plans to give you a hope and a future. He loves you so much and he looks on you with compassion and grace. And he wants to give you the adventure of following him and following the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to do it alone. He carries on and says, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. I've been feeding my mind over the last year with sermons and meditating on parts of the Bible. And one sermon I heard from a church in Brighton said, if you want a miracle or healing, then get your faith levels up for miracles and healings by looking at YouTube clips of miracles and healings. 
So that's what I've been doing. I've been watching YouTube clips of various people around the world going out on the streets. And it's very inspiring and faith-building, and it makes me want to go and do likewise. And now I'll quickly look at some of the things that can make you fall away. It can happen as a decision because you're angry with God, with some trauma that has happened in your life or your family's life. It can be a gradual thing where you take your eyes off your first love and you start to grow cold without really noticing it. Instead of maintaining your relationship, you know, it's a relationship, isn't it? It's not religion, it's a relationship. Instead of maintaining your relationship with Jesus and listening to him, you're getting caught up in things of the world and perhaps getting too comfortable. You can get so that you just won't give up that thing that he's asking you to give up, that sin that he's asked you about. But to obey is better than sacrifice. He delights in our obedience and we need to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Or it could be pride gets in and you've set yourself up as a god in a way and that you've put yourself on the throne of your life and not Jesus anymore. Or you can get too busy and have no time just to listen to him or to read the Bible and just spend time with him worshipping. It can even be that you're being too busy doing really brilliant, kind, loving Christian things. But you still need to keep filling up your cup from the water of life, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You can fall away from Jesus because you're discouraged. It could be that things haven't been going well in your life. Or you've been believing the lies of the enemy who's been saying, you are a failure. Call yourself a Christian. We know what he's like. And he may have been bringing up all the mistakes that you've made in the past that you've already sorted out with God yonks ago. That's what he's like. He brings up old stuff. Recognize that this is the father of lies talking to you and tell him where to go in the name of Jesus. And then he will leave you alone, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Hang on to Jesus through the tough times and through the good times. In the good times, don't get complacent and flabby, just enjoying it all. Press in, run the race for the joy of serving God. Abide in him, dwell in him, be part of the vine. Let his life flow through you. It comes down to identity, who you believe you are and who you believe God is. Hold his hand and never let go. Hosea 11 talks about God being a father and teaching Ephraim to walk. We're his kids. We just need to hold his hands and let him teach us how to walk. I'm just flinging out things now. <laughs> hope it's okay. Fill your mind with good things, things that are noble, true, and lovely. <coughs> Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. You're able to rest in him under his wings. It's not about striving or working hard. It's about dwelling in him and with him. We need to abide in him. Where you live, abide or dwell, is your home. And usually, you're safe and secure and accepted in your home. You're comfortable and you can be yourself. You don't have to put on a show. 
it isn't an effort, you can just be you. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Free. We're meant to be free, to live this life for him. So take captive every thought that lands in your brain from the enemy. Don't give it any room. He's a liar and a thief. He wants to rob you of your peace and your joy and your freedom. Do not let him. Put on your armour, be on your guard, because the enemy is like a lion prowling around to see who's the weak one he can pick off. Psalm 91 again says, We will tread on the lion and the cobra. Oh, but you say, this is... This lion is huge. He's a great lion. Well, Psalm 91 says, we will trample the great lion and the serpent. Don't be afraid. As I say, I'm talking to myself. Psalm 37, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. So spend your time meditating on him and delighting in our beautiful Savior because he delights in you. He's singing over you. Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He has things planned in advance for you to do. He will say we, we will do, sorry, he says we will do even greater things than he did. And he can give us an amazing life of adventure. Lift your eyes to the finish line. You're an incomplete story. God has not finished with you yet. Fall in love again with your first love. The Father is the one that loved you so much he gave his only son to die for you. He wants to forgive you and make the relationship good again. Jesus is the one who loved you so much that he was obedient to his Father and he left heaven and became a man. He's the one that went to the cross. I always get a bit tearful about Jesus on the cross. It's just such a beautiful thing and no one else did that for us and he rose again from the dead. He was there at creation, speaking all things into being. He's the one that sustains all things now. He is coming again. He has eyes of flashing fire, feet like shining bronze and his voice is like many waterfalls thundering. He's magnificent. He's powerful. And yet, he's so gentle. He's the bringer of peace. He's full of love and compassion. He's full of grace and mercy. Remember who you are. You're a child of God. You have a wonderful father. You're a citizen of heaven. So I exhort you and I exhort myself, stand firm in the Lord. Set your mind on things above. Walk steadfastly on that narrow path. Keep following Jesus. Gaze on, meditate again on the wonderful Saviour, the only one who is willing and obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's stand, shall we? No rush on, let's just wait a moment.
lovely proclamation of Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us. Beautiful, really. We're going to break bread in a moment in response to 